We're ready? Okay. I was thinking this morning I've been fighting with my uh, hay fever and asthma. Uh, seems like I've spent my whole life fighting for breath. Um, uh, but one day we're going to be so filled with the breath of God, there will be none of that. So I can take a few more days of it, you know. So last week, I uh, presented the doctrine of male responsibility. That doctrine has the idea that as in Adam we all die, not in Eve. Uh, The Bible very clearly talks about Eve being deceived and Adam intentionally sinned. That idea then, we die in Adam, not in Eve, is manifest in the relationship between husband and wife and father and daughter in Numbers chapter 30. And I suggested that several passages that are used in the New Testament about women speaking are really references to wives versus husbands, not men and women. And I'm addressing this because the Southern Baptist National Convention has removed two churches, including Saddleback, um, from the National Convention. Uh, And it's over the issue of ordaining women as pastors. And the vote was overwhelming. I'm trying to explain why Baptists think the way they think about this thing. One of those is this idea of male responsibility in the context of the home. The question is, does that extend then to the congregation? And then, of course, the question will be, does it extend from there into society? I'm going to suggest, I'm not going to talk about society, that it doesn't. That's been part of our problem of misogyny in Western culture. That there's been this idea that it's men versus women instead of husbands and wives. So, I want to keep that in mind. Now, the subject's conflated. And I can't address it completely in this, in this context. But I want to explain the reason why male pastors is the standard among Southern Baptists, and why this issue gets confused in the minds of those who are not part of the convention um, when it then spills over into the idea of women women preaching. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, I suggest you uh, listen to last week's recording. So today we're going to look at two major texts related to the ordination of deacons and elders not pastors, the word pastor doesn't exist there, and why Southern Baptists use the word preacher to identify the pastor and why that creates this tension that we're dealing with. I think it's an important historical point because Baptists are accused of things that they don't intend when they use terms differently than other people use the terms. So let's start with the text. 1 Timothy chapter 3 Verses 1 to 7. Now, remember there are no chapters in the Bible. So the end of what we call chapter 2 is one of the passages that we looked at last week. Where Paul says, uh, I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived fell into transgression. I suggested those should be translated husband and wife because that's what Adam and Eve were. 
not man and woman in, in the generic sense. The words in Hebrew and Greek are the same, so the translation has to be based on the context. So, he, so it should say, I do not allow... Um, I just lost my place, right? I do not allow uh, a wife to teach or exercise authority over a, a husband, but to remain quiet. This is in the context of learning and discussions, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. So, when we then move on into chapter 3, this is what we get. It is a trustworthy say, statement. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work that he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceful, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, because if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert, so he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the body outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now in these passages, Paul's statement is that this person, now if you've got an English Bible, and that's what we're using, uh, it says if any man desires the office of a bishop, or the office of an overseer, or the office of Episcopal, the word man is not there. The Greek word says if someone, if a person desires this. So it's not telling us anything about gender in that verse at that, at that point. But then he goes on and says that this episkopos, this bishop, this overseer, uh, is supposed to be uh, the husband, there's the word man, a man of one woman or a husband of one wife. Clearly, this is referring to somebody who, whose marriage has something to do with his qualifications in the context of this office. So he says, he's to be above reproach as the husband of one wife, managing his household and controlling his children. You see this husband and father context that is built into the qualifications. It's referring to a married man with children. Now obviously people say, well what if somebody's not married? I'll get to that. I want you to notice that the word pastor does not occur here. It is the overseer. The person who is, in a sense, uh, watching over the uh, congregation in that sense. Now after that he goes to deacons in verse 8. He says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, or addicted to wine, or fond of sordid gain, holding the mystery of the faith in a clear conscience. These men, or these ones, must be first tested, and let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Now it does something really different than it did with the episkopos, with this deacon, this servant, this shamish, would be the Hebrew word, this person who is serving. <clears throat> and he uses a term here for wives 
or women, which is interpreted by various people as wives of the deacons, or wives of the deacons and the uh, episcopos, the bishops that were talked about before, must be dignified, not malicious gossips, temperate, faithful in all things. And it goes back to the word deacon. Deacons must be the husband of one wife, a man of one woman. Good managers of their children and of their household. Again, this qualification is about the way a person handles his household. Then he will handle the, the uh, church of God. Those who have served well uh, as deacons obtain for themselves high standing, great confidence and faith in Christ Jesus. Now he also says that they are to be tested. right? In other words, people's reputation is involved here. These passages do not refer to pastor in any sense. And in the case of the deacons, says nothing about teaching or preaching. It never said anything about preaching, even with the episcopos, but it does say they have to be able to teach, able to instruct. Now the other passage that's used for this, in what's interestingly called the, the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, in which the word pastor nowhere occurs, is in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Now remember, Paul left Timothy, who was Jewish, to deal with the uh, churches where he was. He's now going to talk to Titus, who is a Gentile. And he says... uh, He left him in Crete. So Timothy was left in Ephesus to set up elders or or bishops and deacons. And here, Titus is told to set up elders, appoint elders. In verse 5 he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders, the word here, presbyteros, where we get our word Presbyterian from. Uh, Presbyter means an elder. Um, In every city as I directed. In other words, in all the cities where there are believers, there will be elders that are appointed. The overseer, that's interesting. He immediately, after saying you're going to appoint elders, he uses the word episkopos. He goes back to this idea of the overseer. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Now here what we have in verse 6 is, he's above reproach, the man of one woman, or the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. In each of these cases, we are told that this individual is to be a husband of, a, of one wife and has a good control of his household. That seems to be the central characteristic of these offices that are called episcopoi or bishops 
overseers, presbyteros, uh, elders, and deacons, servants, in, in that sense. So where do we get the term pastor? The word pastor, poimen, means shepherd. Uh, and it has a rich presence in the scriptures. God has used the word shepherd to refer to kings. He uses the word shepherd to refer to the priests. He used shepherds to refer to the leaders. He uses the word shepherd to refer to the leaders. But when he does that, he's talking about what they do, not so much a title. Okay, that You wouldn't go in and David's got shepherd of Israel. He would have king of Israel. But he shepherds God's people. You following me? So that term is found in two primary places related to what we're talking about. First one is in Ephesians chapter 4. You won't be able to talk to anybody about this because they've never looked at these passages this way. So just warning you ahead of time, right? Ephesians 4 verse 11 He talks about these gifts that are given, these ministry gifts that are given to the church. And he says, he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers. So here it is, but here it doesn't say anything about qualifications. just says that there is some kind of gifting going on where this person is gifted to the congregation or to the church in that sense. Now we do see this phrase in 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to go there, then I want to tell you what I think. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says, I therefore exhort the elders, this is that presbytero word, among you, as your fellow elder. He says, uh, he's a con or a fellow uh, elder. He's an apostle, but he's an elder. I believe the term elder is a generic term that includes much of this uh I guess I can use the word leader. I don't like the word leader because it sounds like authority and you follow me instead of what Jesus said, the one who's going to be great among you will be a servant, right? Uh, And Peter gets that because he says here, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. So he says, I was there, right? And a partaker also of the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, pastor, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, there's that word episkopos again, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, yet not lording it over those allotted to your charge. In other words, you're not the authority. But proving yourselves to be examples to the flock. And then my favorite verse in this context. And when the chief shepherd, arch shepherd is really what he's talking about. 
we would say senior pastor. When the senior pastor appears, meaning Jesus, you will receive the unfailing crown of glory. When I was at Westminster, uh, I instructed uh, the secretary, um, if somebody called and asked for the senior pastor, they were to say, he's not here right now. When he comes, we're going with him. Would you like to talk to Pastor Bruce? I never used the title senior pastor. Because that title is given here to the Lord. I don't want to use that title. Right? Now, technically it's arch, shepherd. But you get the idea. Uh, there's a tendency when someone says, senior pastor, lead pastor, all, all roads lead to him. That's not what... But Peter's saying, he says, we may have this experience, we may even have this place, but we're examples to the flock. In other words, in the same way that the father is not the authority in the home, but he is the example to his family of a man of faith, then we end up with a different dynamic than we get if somebody thinks they're always in charge. Now, what happened between the time that Peter and Paul wrote these texts and the Southern Baptist Convention met in New Orleans. A lot of changes. In the Latin church, and very early in the second century, this began to happen in the East and the West. In the Latin church, it ended up being a hierarchy where the deacon is the beginning of the ordained role then you become a priest, presbyter, that's their explanation of the elder. And then you become a bishop. And then later, as there were many bishops, they began to have archbishops. And then they had cardinals. And then they got the pope. You can see what they did. They just line that up in a hierarchy in that structure. And then they said, the bishop must not marry, and the priest must not marry. Following some statements by Paul that I think they misunderstood, because the texts here clearly make the primary focus the man's family life. That's outside of that tradition. In the Eastern Church, they maintained a married clergy... So that the pastors or the priests, and they use the term priest for presbyter, would be married. And so in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they're married. Now technically in the Western Church, Catholic Church, a priest can be married if he was married before he became a priest. But then he can't uh, rise to the place of a bishop. Okay? I see none of that in scripture and none of that really in uh, early documents that would, would make sense of that. In the Reformation, there was a move to get away from the idea of a celibate clergy. And so Martin Luther married a nun, a monk and a nun got married, because Martin Luther believed that marriage was a civil thing, it was a cultural thing. Of course, it was created by God, but it was done that way. And that the state should handle that, not the church which created problems in the Protestant world. 
But what ultimately happened in the Reformed churches is they looked at these passages and said, it appears that we have two kinds of elders, presbyters. We have two kinds. We have those who oversee and those who teach. And so in the Reformed churches you have ruling elders and teaching elders. They form a consistory that guides the church. Usually the one who is the teaching elder is seminary trained and he becomes the pastor as we would use the term. The other elders are what you might call lay elders, but ordination can happen in that context. What about the free churches? Well, in America particularly, the free church took off. Because trying to, every time there's a new group that needs a church, trying to get a Catholic priest or an Orthodox priest or a Reformed minister or priest to come out is hard because they have to be educated, they have to be trained, and that becomes a problem. So what they did among the Methodists, which came out of the Anglicans, is they did the circuit-riding preacher, circuit-riding pastor. He was trained, he was ordained, and he would show up here on Monday, there on Tuesday, there on Wednesday, there on Thursday, riding from town to town, doing the weddings and the, the stuff that needed to be done, uh, and he would, he would give a message when he, when he got that. Notice his primary function was not preaching. His primary function was taking care of the church. Among Baptists, we had a different framework. We created what's called the farmer preacher. So if we're a congregation and we're all farmers, and it's time for... If you don't know what this word means, you can ask Pastor Trevor afterwards. It's time for your fields to lie fallow, which means you don't seed them so that they can they, they get a rest. Then the rest, then the Bible will be given to me, and I'll preach for that year. You guys will help me with food and stuff, and my family with food and stuff. And then next year, it's O's turn to preach because his fields have to lie fallow. These men were not educated, but they knew the word. And Baptist churches sprung up everywhere. In the south particularly, they're on every corner. They're everywhere. Okay? Most of these pastors were not trained. In fact, when I was ordained in the mid-1900s, Over 50% of pastors did not have a college education. It's still quite high. It's not that high, but pretty high. Okay. Because you got called. You would, you would speak. Somebody would be speaking. they say, we need to get the gospel. We need to start churches. And God is calling somebody to do that. And you'd go, is it me? Is it me? I don't know. I don't know. Right? Something would happen, a red car would drive by, or something would happen, and you would interpret that as a calling. And you would say, I'm called to preach. That's the term. Not called to pastor, called to preach. And so you would come forward, everybody would be happy. 
called to preach. That meant you were called to be a pastor. So what would happen in Baptist circles is if you were called in this church, we would uh, license you to preach. And that's the credential that Baptists give. You have a license to preach. Because preaching without a license can get you in trouble. There are these angels that come around and check your credentials, right? Notice we're way away from the scriptures at this point. We're into tradition, right? And so the reality is what happens is somebody feels called to preach and they do one of two things. One of three things. They get licensed. They get some training from their pastor. And then another church, this is a funny thing about Baptist church, another church will send some people to hear you preach. It's called a search committee. They will come and all of a sudden there will be some new visitors sitting in the church. And they usually sit in different places. So it doesn't look like a committee, but you know it's a committee. And the person preaches. And then the search committee goes, we like him. He's got the call. Pentecostals, he's got the anointing. Same, just different. So, got the call, right? So then, they would, they would have him come. He would sneak to what I call the bathing suit competition. He would come to that church and preach. But he wouldn't tell anybody at his church that he was, that he was doing that, right? And then they would issue a call. Now, this always struck me as being... I don't want to be indelicate, but let's say a family loses their dad, dies. And the kids go over to the garage and watch the guy working on his car. Say, he's pretty good. They sneak him over and say, would you like to be our new dad? In the church, they were bringing people up through the congregation. But among Baptists, we steal pastors. You're not allowed to steal sheep, but you can steal shepherds. So that's how it works. Okay? Then the church that you come to would ordain you, and that would be it. So what happened among Baptists is the primary function of the pastor is to preach every Sunday. And every Sunday night, and on Wednesday night. And there was an old saying, if you love the church, you come Sunday morning. If you love the pastor, you come Sunday night. If you love the Lord, you come on Wednesday night. Remember? Yeah? So that's how it was. I stumbled into this. I didn't know quite what I'd got myself into, right? So this idea of preacher as pastor or pastor as preacher is just built into the DNA of Southern Baptists, along with the Great Commission, right? I mean, if you say missions, we drool. That's it, okay? So what's happening now is in Pentecostal churches, they saw it differently. They said, wait a minute, the Bible says that men and women can preach. So in the Pentecostal movements, there were women preachers. They weren't pastors. What they did there was... If Linda and I were in, a, say, an Assembly of God or a Foursquare Church, and I was the pastor, people would say that we are the pastors. 
because they're one, right? And so wives of ministers wouldn't be ordained, but they would be pastoring that church because that's the pastor's wife job, right? So this is why we're having the struggle. The idea of praying or prophesying in the congregation based on 1 Corinthians, is open to men and women with the head-covering thing about the, the wives. right? But now that we have this linking of preaching or proclaiming the word with ordination, you have to be licensed or ordained, once those are connected exclusively, I think the restrictions on male responsibility overrode that and it became problematic. I think there's some ambiguity between whether women can be deacons uh, as individuals. Um, there's clearly a biblical thing about elder women and widows who are engaged in uh, pretty significant ministry. I don't have time to talk about that today. So let me just tell you where I am. First of all, I don't believe there's a calling to the pastorate. This gets me in trouble with pastors all the time. Okay. When I look at the Bible and there are callings, there's two ways the Bible looks at calling. One is we are all called to Christ. And in Christ we are given gifts and abilities that as stewards of those, it will make us the various parts of the body that we are. So for me, being called to Christ and being gifted to teach and to uh, uh, address some oversight and equipping of people made it clear to me that I should be in a pastoral role. But I didn't have a calling. Didn't have a bush that burned. Bruce, go to this church, right? I didn't have, I wasn't on my way to Damascus and got blinded. Those are callings. There are places in the Bible where God calls somebody and boy, that's, that's not a, I think it was there. Could have been heartburn, but you know, I want to be careful about this stuff because I believe when you start doing, oh, I've been called of God. Now you got to follow me. That's very close to blasphemy because it's taking authority of the Lord away from the Lord. Right? I'm just a fellow believer struggling, just like you guys are. Okay? I've got a deeper struggle in some places and a weaker struggle in some places, but I'm trying to equip you with what God has given me. So that we can be a better congregation. Okay? That doesn't put me in charge of this. Won't put Trevor in charge of it. Won't. We're, we're simply here to serve you. You're not here to serve us. You're God's church. We're not. We're, we're it when we're part of it. Right? But it's not our church. Following me? So, I think Baptists have interpreted this oversight between the role of pastor and preaching... And now are struggling with the issue of equality. If you use equality to negate what the scripture seems to say about these roles, and it makes sense in our I mean in our culture, because what is the what is pastor now? It's a profession. One of the reasons that I became a professor was so that my profession would not be pastor. 
Because I believe that the role of pastor, of shepherding, is not a profession. But we have that. So now the problem is, well, if it's a job like any other job, can a woman do it just the same as a man? So we have the secular world telling us this is about equality. And we have the religious world telling us it's about calling. If a woman says, I'm called to be a pastor, who the heck am I to say she isn't? Right? So this is where the problem is. I think it's going to get messier. Because Baptists are not clearly thinking through this. Um, And part of it is we just go through the default that we have. And preacher, pastor is, is there. And ordination, you know, is like makes you official. Right? Paul said, I don't need credentials from you. You're my credentials. Right? You only need credentials when you're going to strangers... And the credentials come from people that they trust so that they will trust you, right? But we've turned it into a professional license. And I think that's a problem. So, I do believe that the role of deacon, the role of pastor, or uh, the role of bishop, or elder, or overseer, are primarily extensions of the role of husband and fatherhood. And therefore, it would make sense that prominently that would be a male office. There are clearly situations where Philip's daughter had four daughters who were prophetesses. I have no idea what that means. I don't think they were predicting anything. So there may be some kind of para-congregational ministry where they're doing it. Remember, the deacons that that were taking care of the widows, Stephen preached and Philip preached, but the others didn't preach. I think the preaching has to be jettisoned from this office of pastor. I think if more churches had more of the congregation do the preaching and the overseer is monitoring it, our, our depth of spiritual um, maturity would quadruple. So... Um, I agree that the biblical role of oversight in the household is the husband and father, and that the elders, plural, are the ones responsible for the congregation. But I don't believe that prevents any man or woman in the congregation from doing the liturgical prayers or preaching, which is our practice. And of course, the elders must monitor what's taught in their oversight role. So I've left out all this stuff about women in ministry in the Older and Newer Testaments. I hope to have time to talk about that in the future. I'm I'm looking at that, and there's some fascinating stuff. The problem is it's getting conflated with these texts that we've been looking at. So I hope I've confused you at a higher level of consciousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Give us insight, God. Humble insight that we would not go beyond what your word says. And when we don't fully understand, we would be careful to even say that. And help us, Lord, to be beneficial to our fellow Southern Baptists who are struggling with this, hearing people screaming from both, both extremes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.